Well, it was a great week, and for everyone that served, thank you. And if you're uh, a kid and you were here, we want to thank you for being here for that. And uh, and to just give praise to the Lord. Now, I, I'm aware of at least two kids who uh, joined the family of faith and uh, prayed to receive Christ. And so what a what an amazing thing that that really is when you think about that people are trusting Jesus Christ at things like this. is. Uh, makes it all worthwhile. And so praise God for that. If you brought with you a Bible, if you want to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, Ephesians 3. Uh, if you have um, certainly been here the last several weeks, uh, you know that uh, we're in a series through John. Uh, we're actually going to take a break from John until September. So uh, this week and then two more months. Uh, uh, next week, we'll actually um, be in a series. We're going to start one. It's called A Life of Worship. And the intent there is to look at various places and ways that we use our time and then to see how God really intends for those things to be leveraged to honor him, but also to help other people see his greatness. And so uh, we will do that um, next week and then through the end of the summer. But today uh, I want to share uh, just about the mission of the church in particular Uh, but also kind of some things that God's doing here at Providence. And so we are glad that you're here. If you are a guest, I want to ask you to let's just bow and let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you so much for your kindness that's been expressed to us in Jesus, but also in giving us the Bible. What a gift it is, what a privilege it is to be able to have revelation of who you are and who we are and how we're to live in your world. We thank you, God, for the truths that we get to learn in these few verses here this morning. I pray, Father, that you would give us wisdom. I pray that you would speak through weakness. I pray that you would remove distraction. I pray that you would help us to believe what we read and then be inclined in our heart to lean forward and to lean in and be asking the question, what must we then do if this is true? And so, God, would you please rescue this time? Help us, Lord, to use it wisely. Would you speak to us in our heart, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So on Wednesday of this week, I'm in the car, and I got the radio on, and, and uh, there's a guy on there, and his name is Carl Anthony Towns. Now, this is a basketball player. He was actually the rookie of the year this year uh, in the pros. And, uh, but what, what, um, uh, what was just so fascinating, uh, and it really left a mark, uh, was he was a member of the 2014 Kentucky basketball team that started the season 38-0 and before losing their last and only game in the semifinal. But what was so fascinating was, um, uh, was that this team uh, was actually comprised of, I think there was 12 players, but eight of those players Within that year or the year after, they had all been drafted into the NBA. So you have eight professional basketball players that in the same year, they're all playing on a college team. They're either 19, 20, or 21 years old, which means that at least three of them had to sit the bench. And they're all incredible. Now, if you think about the, like the kind of player that these guys would have been, They would have not only been the superstar on their high school team, but they would have been the superstar against everyone that they had ever played against. And now they come together and he's being asked, he says, how is it possible basically for eight potential NBA teams with all of that personal ego in the way to fit together for a common good? And this is what he said. He said, you know, playing time was limited and our and our egos really were big. 
He says, but we had the same name written on our chest and the same mission written on our heart. And that mission was to win. And so we all chose to lean in and sacrifice for the good of the team. And so I'm sitting there, I'm driving down Creedmoor Road and I'm sitting there thinking, this is a basketball team. The most significant thing that they're going to do in terms of why they've been built is to score more points than another basketball team. And when you think about what the name that we carry and you think about the significance of the mission that we have been entrusted with, and it really becomes very, very sobering. And this is what the whole message is really about is as we prepare to vote tonight on expanding our facilities here at Providence, in particular this room and a parking lot up on the hill. What I want to do here this morning is before we vote, is I want to remind us as a church body of the name that binds us together and to remind us as a church body of the mission that propels us forward. But I also want to tell us as a body what I believe the sacrifices to be that will be required and necessary on an individual basis if indeed we choose to vote yes and move forward with this project. And so at the end, I'm simply going to ask you to lean in. So let's read what Paul writes. Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 7, it says, Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So three truths that I want to show you in this text about the significance of the church and our place in it before talking about what it looks like practically to lean in, if indeed we're going to do this. The first truth is this, is that God desires to display his wisdom through the church. Now, this may not sound all that significant to you, but I want you to know that it absolutely is. Paul tells us that the culmination, we're going to start in verse 10. He, he, he says that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. This is, this is where everything is pulling to. This is why Paul's writing this. This is his hope. This is, this is the finish line. Is that the wisdom of God, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. Now, the word manifold is really not used really in any other place. It's an unusual Greek word. It's actually a collection of two. And what it really means is this, is that it means many diversified various colors. We just put it in and say, let's call it manifold, right? But, but the fact is, is this word literally means this, is that Paul is saying, here's the wisdom of God. And if you, and if you have the full breadth of the wisdom of of God, that what we want to see is that if this would take place, what he's writing about, that the colorful, various, diverse wisdom of God would be made known all over the world. You see, though God is invisible because he's spirit, and so we, our eyes can't physically see him, God wants to be known. And so just like an artist who paints things in order to communicate what's within them, maybe in the hope of being known, that God is painting what we're told is this masterpiece in 
all of creation. And it's painted on a canvas of human history. And what you need to know is that even though at times it seems so abstract, when we look into the world, perhaps like this, this, this one here, where there's contours and textures and all kinds of colors. But the fact is, is it's not really clear, is it? And sometimes you and I, we look at the course of human history. And not everything looks like the display of his wisdom. There's things that you're looking at. On the east coast of America right now, it's all wet. On the west coast, it's on fire. You think, where's the wisdom of this? There's, there's, there's injustice in the world. And there's things in the world where we look at it and we go, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to see this wisdom of God. But what you need to see here is this is that though it's abstract what God is painting, the centerpiece of God's painting is the creation of a redeemed church that's been redeemed by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Did you notice what it says here? It says, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is being made known. Meaning there is, there's a reason that the church is in existence and it's specifically unlike anything else that God has created or God has done displays his wisdom in the world in an unusual way. You see, you and I, we really should be in awe. When we wake up and we go out into the world, we see beautiful things, don't we? I mean, hasn't God created the world with such complexity and beauty? It really is just an amazing thing. For example, if you just consider the last sunset that you looked at, have you ever noticed that most of the sunsets, when we go, wow, look at the sunset, it's full of oranges and reds and yellows. Have you ever noticed that it's never full of blues and violets? Do you know why? Well, God made it such that when the sun sets, more of the sun rays have to travel through air that's full of dust closest to the earth. And what's incredible is this, is that as it travels through that, the lower it is, for, for whatever reason, God created our eyeballs, is that when that sunlight is going through the dust, that the blues and the violets in the color scheme, they, they go away from our eyesight, leaving only the yellows and the reds and the oranges for us to be able to see. This is the wisdom of God. Every time you look at the sunset, you go, look what God did. Let's go to a different season. Let's go, let's go to winter. Have you ever looked at a snowflake? You say, well, we live in Raleigh, so we don't see many of them. Well, that's true. But every now and then we get some of them. But if if you put one of those snowflakes under a microscope, what you actually see is the wisdom of God. There's such complexity and such symmetry that God created. They're not just random little ice balls falling out. No, they look like this. This is an actual picture of a snowflake. And God's created each one of them, we're told in Job chapter 38, with complexity and symmetry and design, and then assigns them to go and be dropped in certain places in the world. This is what's behind what we see when it's all white. This is the wisdom of God. When you look into the womb and you see pictures of a baby, an actual human being in the womb, it is an absolute miracle of God that displays the wisdom of God. And you know, God's word tells us that while that child is in the womb, Ecclesiastes chapter 11 says that God imparts to that baby a soul that will live forever. That's the wisdom of God. But this is the cool thing and the amazing thing. Some of you are bored when you walked in these doors today because you come to church again. But what Paul is saying here is this, is that if you and I want to see the most vivid, complex, 
colorful and concentrated display of God's wisdom on the earth, you have to not look at snowflakes and sunsets. You've got to look at the church. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is being displayed to the world. You say, why? Why is the church so important? Because she alone was created by the blood of Jesus, the son of God. She is the only gathering of fallen people on earth who've been made alive and redeemed by Christ. She is the only institution gathering place on the earth that will literally endure forever. So when you and I, we drive by and we see a living, loving church, you are looking at the clearest picture of the wisdom of God on the earth. It is a miracle that you are here today. It is a miracle that providence exists today. This is not by man. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will shall not prevail against her. You see, while God's church is on the earth and you see it on the earth, it was meant to be seen. We're told here by the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Now, this kind of gets beyond us. okay? but check this out. Philippians chapter two, verse 10 says this. It says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. So there's three locations. There's in heaven, on the earth, under the earth, under the earth. The Bible calls hell. And so and there's there's beings there's with 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 actual personalities in each one of these places. And what it says is this. There will come a time in the world where literally everyone in heaven, on the earth and in hell, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. This is the reality. But God wanted to build a visible church on the earth in order to display his wisdom to those who are in heaven and hell right now. So check this out. First Peter 1.12 tells us that the authorities in heaven, the Bible calls those angels, that they look at the church and they marvel at God's wisdom that would make saints out of rebels. They would take people that once spurned God's advice and made them sons and daughters and heirs of the kingdom. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 tells us that the authorities in hell, these, these are called demons, that they look at the church and they convulse at the certainty of their coming doom. And so as a church family, let us be prayerful today. For all that we do and decide tonight and beyond reflects upon his wisdom in all places. The second thing I want you to see is that God builds his church as the gospel is preached. So this institution, this assembly of people, it doesn't just happen to come together. No, there is a message that literally the church is built around. This is what he says. He says, grace was given to me to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ, the mystery hidden for ages. Now, the mystery that he's talking about is the fact that God delivered on his promise to send his own son from heaven to earth to die on a cross and to rise from the dead. But Paul takes that mystery even a step forward. You see, in chapter three, verse six, it says this. There he talks also about the mystery. He says, the mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, 
members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus throughout the gospel. Throughout time, there's been a racism problem in the world. There's been those that are in and those that are out. There's been Jews and Gentiles and black and white and everything else. There's always been ways that we have distinguished and separated. But the mystery that is talking about here is that when Jesus Christ died and rose again, that all races, all ethnicities, all genders, all ages, whoever believes in Jesus Christ in this gospel, they're all brought together into the family of God called the church. It's a mystery that God could get this done, that he could take people so diverse in what they look like, where they grew up, their culture, their language, everything, and make them one family in Christ. It's a miracle. And the Bible calls this the gospel. In a providence, we're not ashamed of the gospel because whoever believes the gospel will be saved. But not only will they be saved, but they'll also be adopted into his family. And when you come into his family and he takes you home and you go into the dining room, you don't find a table, a romantic table for two, where you and Jesus get to just live together and just have a wonderful, warm relationship with one another. No, when you go into God's dining room, you see a huge, enormous family made up of all the people who have ever trusted Christ. And you see a really, really big table and you get to sit with them. You see, and this is what he's talking about here. That all genders and all ages of people who believe in Christ, they're all welcome to this family. You see, you cannot have one without the other. You cannot have Christ and not have his people. Because when you come to Christ, he places you into his family, which is his people. So to be connected to Christ is to be connected to his church. And this is what he's saying here. And so he says, look, God desires for his wisdom to be displayed throughout the whole world through the church. And this church is literally built up. It's being painted on the canvas of history as the gospel is being preached by people. And that comes to the next question. And that would be, well, we've got the canvas and we've got the painter and we've got the paints and we've got what he wants to paint. But who the brushes? Who tells the gospel? Who does the loving? Is it this institution that, 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 that seems nameless? And No, no, no. God preaches the gospel through us. This is the third thing. God preaches the gospel through us. God loves through us. God helps other people grow through us. God prays for people through us. He is doing this through us. Ordinary people like you and like me who have seen the riches of Christ and are willing to take those riches to others. This is what he says. He goes, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of grace, though I am the very least of all of the saints. See, I think Paul called himself the least of all the saints because he was so aware of how much grace that it took to save him. He was once a persecutor, a hater of Jesus and the church. And all of a sudden he's a disciple and he's the one who's writing Ephesians for us. I think there's another reason why he says I'm the least of the saints. And that is for us, people who would be reading his later, this letter later on. That if God can use a man like Paul to be a brush and an instrument in his grand design to display his wisdom, then he can use you and he can use me as well. You see, this is what he's talking about here. You see, I hope you see how all of this works, that God has literally built us collectively as a people called Providence to display his wisdom as we introduce people to Jesus Christ and help them to grow to love and worship him. But you see here in verse seven that how this gets done is on an individual basis, is that individual decisions 
affect the whole. See, we all have a part to play. Most of us have put together a puzzle. There's about 2,000 people that call Providence their home. And if we had a 2,000-piece puzzle, and I put a piece in each one of your hands, and I said, we're going to collectively put together this puzzle. When it's time for your piece, you put it down. And most of you have done a puzzle with somebody that hides pieces in their pocket, right? And then, then and you're like, gosh, there's no more way. Now I get to be the last one, right? Some of you are that person who, who, who hides. The fact is, it's, it, it's kind of irritating, isn't it, when it's not you? And God has really created things intentionally. And he's created providence to be just like this. You see, providence is not 2,000 bodies that converge in one location for personal gain. Providence is literally 2,000 parts making up one body for the glory of God. So we need to see that our individual decisions affect the world's ability to see God's wisdom in his church. How we pray, how we think, how we treat one another, how we greet people when they come in, guests, visitors. All of this speaks and is painted on God's grand design in the hopes that his wisdom would be seen everywhere. So with the name of Jesus written on our chest and the mission of God propelling us forward, what is happening tonight? Well, tonight is an interesting night. To talk about it, I need to go back to December of 2014. At that point, we launched something. It was called Vision 220. The intent there was to maximize what God has entrusted to our care for the next two years in order to leverage that, in order to multiply our ministry impact and our sending capacity for the next 20 years. And so what's amazing is you read Acts chapter 17 here in the Bible And it says there that God has literally ordained not only when we live, but where we live. And so therefore, God has ordained that you and I, we live in what happens to be currently the second fastest growing city in America. It's a pretty remarkable thing. In fact, if you want to see some of of, um, what this looks like, in, in the next 38 years, Raleigh will be 2 million people if it's on the same course that it is right now. There's 63 people that add, that come and live in Raleigh every day. 42 people move here every day, and 21 are born here every day. 63 people. Well, that's a whole lot of people. And so we believe then, and we believe now, that it is imperative to strengthen our foundation so that we can build on it for years to come. And so Vision 220 had three specific points to it. The first was to strengthen current ministry. So when you think about children's ministry or men's or women's or students or college or singles or all these ministries that we have is that we wanted to make sure that we resource them to be able to strengthen them, to be able to reach and disciple and train more people. The second thing is it was to multiply leadership development and sending capacity. What that means is that if God brings all these people here and we're sharing the gospel with them and they're coming here, we're going to need more lay leaders. We're going to need more layers of leaders here at Providence to be able to care for people. And so we wanted to be say, look, right now we we need to spend some time and resources to really seek to train people up, but not only to train them to be a leader, but also to train them to be a goer. 
And what that means is to train each one of us to share the gospel and to train each one of us to see that God has a passion for the nations and not just here in Raleigh so that we, so that maybe one day you would stand at this stage and that you would be commissioned to go somewhere else. And the third thing was to improve and increase our facilities. Simply a tool to be able to do the ministry. Well, just like every other vision, this vision had a price tag. And that price tag at the time was $24 million. $12 million were for two years of operating budget to do the first two priorities. The ministry and the, uh, uh, the sending and to build up leaders. And then there was another $12 million that, were, that was proposed to build a 1,400-seat worship center on the hill, which is right behind you, okay? Well, when the commitments were added up to the current level of giving, we believe that God would provide graciously $16 million over those two years. If you add that up, that's $8 million less than the twenty-four. So what we agreed to do is to fund the ministry to to say that's the most important thing by far. And so we're going to continue to fund operating budget for those two years and then save all of the extra and then look for a more affordable means for facility improvement or expansion. Now, what's amazing is during this time when we say we're waiting, God has done some absolutely remarkable things here at Providence in the last 18 months. And I want to share just a few of them with you. We wanted to make sure that everyone here, every adult here could share the gospel with somebody else and be trained. And so in life groups, if you remember this last fall, right, we we, we'd say, hey, let's go through and everybody at Providence learn how to share the gospel. If you were involved in a life group. And what's been so cool is you see the fruit of people telling people about Jesus. We we can see that you're being faithful with this. You need to know that. You see, we have since seen a significant growth in outreach participation. What does that mean? Well, at the last fall festival, we had over 400 first-time visitors show up here for a fall festival, a kids' event where we get to play. I mean, it's a remarkable thing. Last Christmas at our Christmas concerts, we had over 3,200 people come and were invited here to hear the gospel. Easter was very similar to that. You have been so faithful with that. And as you guys have been sharing the gospel, people have been coming to faith in Christ. And then the next step is to be baptized and tell other people. And so in this time, we've also seen a 40% increase in the number of baptisms. Additionally, we've even seen modest 4 to 7% growth in Sunday attendance, not only in this room, but also in the life groups. You see, God's doing this simply because You have been faithful to tell people about Jesus. That's a remarkable thing. We've also seen over 130 adults go through a leadership development program that we developed called M3. M3 stands for Mentoring for Ministry and Mission. And the intent is to seek to build leaders, identifying what their spiritual gift is, and then seeking to mobilize them in the church as a leader in this body. We'll be doing another year of it this year. And as God has continued to stir the hearts of people to tell people about Christ, more people have been going on mission trips than ever before. This year, we're on pace to send just shy of 300 people on a mission trip, either overseas or to one of our North American church plants in Portland, Boston, Toronto, or Philadelphia. 
It's a remarkable thing that so many people want to go. And one of the things that you guys just approved, right, is a church planning residency. You said, I don't remember approving that. Well, when you approve the budget for next year, you happen to approve it. So thank you. You did a great job. And what this is, right, is there's a lot of places in North America that really don't have a church in that community that's evangelical, that's Jesus-preaching, Bible-believing church. There's so many places in our culture that do not hear the gospel like hopefully you get to hear it here. And they need to hear it. And so this next year, we're actually looking for the guy right now. We hope to introduce him to you at the Missions Festival in February. Then we're going to train him for a year. In the next mission Festival, we're going to send him out to a specific city to plant a church there. And we're actually hoping that some of you will relocate your home to that city and join that person. Because there are cities all over the Northeast, even up in Baltimore and Philly, even fairly close to us, where there's very few evangelical churches that are there preaching Jesus and the gospel. One of the coolest things to me that just gets me so excited is there's places in the world where we just can't go plant churches, either because we don't know the language or because it's illegal for us to do that. But one of the coolest things is we've actually formed partnerships with five different seminaries in the world, Bible colleges, that have people from various places coming. They've been saved. They're coming, and now they're going back to their homeland in, in Indonesia, in India, in Jordan, in the Middle East. It's an amazing thing where we cannot get. And we've identified five of these church planners where we've, we've promised to support them so that they can spend two years not worrying about the finances for their family, but to actually be planting a church. This is all happening because of you. And one of the reasons it's possible is because you've given so generously. We're literally on pace to be over $500,000 ahead of our committed goal of $16 million. And this is incredible, right? It's it literally, it's because God is working in your hearts. And I'm just, I'm just amazed. I'm just amazed. Yet today, still desiring to be good stewards of all the resources that God's made available to us and to provide space for our current needs as well as for future faithfulness of disciple-making, inviting for 20 years to come. We decided to check on the feasibility of expanding our worship center and finishing the east parking lot. And tonight, we're going to vote on these two projects. I want to be really clear here this morning. Okay, a building is not our dream. I promise you, The Lord is my witness. I have not daydreamed one time about preaching in a bigger room. I grew up with a speech impediment. I was terrified when the phone rang and I had to talk to one person. Okay, this is a miracle to me. Sometimes maybe to you also, but this is a miracle, (laughs) right? And so the thought of a bigger room to me is just more daunting. It's not more pleasurable to me, right? But if it's what it takes to be found faithful when we stand before him, then that's what we want. And ultimately, that is our desire. That's our dream, is that one day you and I, as a people, my job is literally to prepare you when you stand before Christ. You're going to stand before him, and I want you to be found faithful. I want us to be found faithful to his mission of what he's called us to do. You see, and so what I want to do right now in finishing up here, is, is to tell you four very specific ways I think we're going to need to lean in if we agree to move forward to do this. And I want you to know something. The sacrifice to improve this site only makes sense 
if we will invite more people to hear the gospel, we'll be more faithful in sharing the gospel and welcoming people here and then equipping them up in order to send them back out. So what are the four things I think we need to do as a church family if indeed we say yes? The first thing is this, is that we will need to lean in by praying. By praying. You see, if the only fruit at the end of construction is a bigger room and more parking, then I think I will have failed you as a pastor. Because I believe that God wants us to use this. I believe he wants to use this as a tool, as well as all of the associated discomfort to build this tool in order to build faith and hope and love inside the body, inside our hearts. You see, I can't do that. None of us can do that. This is why it requires God, and therefore we have to pray. So I've been praying, and I want to ask you to pray over seven specific things over the next year. We'll be making a card. I want to show you what they are now, but how I do it, there's seven of them. It's one per day, and I just pray, right? This is what I'm praying for, that in our body, that God would literally build in us a spirit of humility. And how we would know that is it would be marked by our prayer. We're a praying people. A spirit of love is marked by hospitality. A spirit of compassion is marked by evangelism. A spirit of togetherness that is marked by unity. A spirit of dependence that is marked by our own community. A spirit of faith that's marked by our generosity. And a spirit of endurance that is marked by completion. You see, at the end of the day, that building doesn't, doesn't get me too excited. What gets me excited is that we would become a holier, more humble, more prayerful, more loving people. And so we want to pray towards this end. The second way that we need to lean in is by giving. Now, you notice in each of these, I'm not saying I'm not turning your arm so you'll vote yes. What I'm saying is if you're going to vote yes, you need to agree that these are things that we need to do together individually. It's going to require giving. See, the estimated cost of the parking lot and the expansion of this room is $7.75 million. As mentioned earlier, we're on schedule to receive 4.5 of that, which leaves 3.25 to borrow. Though we are open to borrow, we believe that God can provide, and we hope he will provide in abundance through his people here at Providence if we all commit to give generously out of all that God has so generously given to us. I believe we can do this together. I believe that God has given us the resources to be able to do this together. And after the construction time, if indeed we say yes, is that it would be, I think, just a miracle of God is if we did not have to take a note out in order to pay for it. Now, that doesn't make it one way. I'm not saying that's the only way that we see the hand of God in this. I just believe that we can do it. But what you need to understand is this, is that for every million dollars that we borrow, it roughly takes about $100,000 of operating budget in order to pay that off over 15 years. And so what we're hoping to do is really to see this happen in two ways. One is is by giving, right? The second would be, let's not spend $7.75 million, right? In that $7.75 million, there's a pretty hefty contingency in there, meaning that we, we won't have to spend that if problems don't happen. Now, we live in the world, and it's a broken world. And so sometimes you find bedrock where you hope you don't find bedrock, right? But the fact is, is I'm just praying, God, would you help the cost to stay low? And would you help us to be generous? And so there's two categories of commitments that I want to talk about really briefly and ask you to begin praying about even today. First is if you were not here when we started 220, 
Or if you had such concerns that led you to be unable to give or to commit at that time, I want to ask you to pray about a one-time gift from stored resources and extended giving for one year that would end when the building is completed somewhere around June of 2017. You see, when we started all this, about 50% of all of our active families at Providence made a commitment. And the two most frequently cited reasons why people could not make that commitment, one was the expense of the building on the hill, and two was the uncertainty of who would be the next senior pastor. Well, today the proposed expense is far less and the senior pastor is known, right? Now that may not comfort you, but it is known. And so today I'm simply wanting to appeal to you to prayerfully consider giving Division 220 for one year. The second category would be for those in the room who have been giving and who did commit. And I would simply ask you to prayerfully consider continuing your giving for an additional six months to June of 2017. Exodus 35, 29, Moses asked the people to pray about giving for the tabernacle to be built. And I love how they did this here. It wasn't mandatory. It wasn't pressured. It said all the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work of the Lord that had been commanded by Moses to be done, they brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. So the next few weeks, there'll be a card available with some instructions. We're not going to have a ceremony to give those cards. You're just going to be able to place those either in the plate or at next steps in a little place that, that, that folks can't see. But the fact is, is we, I just want to ask you to begin praying about that. The third thing is we will need to lean in by excelling in hospitality. You see, when dust is flying and the entryways, at least for a time, are closed, at least some of them, It will be confusing to us and it will be very confusing to other people. For a portion of construction, we will be meeting outside of this room while this is being constructed. We'll be meeting in the DLC, the Fellowship Hall, and the amphitheater. This will be confusing to us, but it'll be really confusing to visitors. And so we want to be able to help visitors by loving them well. So I would simply ask you that if you vote yes, And if you do not have a place of ministry at Providence right now, at least for a year, I would ask you to consider serving with our children or with hospitality by manning the doors and places where we can help people find where they need to go. The last thing is this, is that we will need to lean in towards each other. During moments of confusion and discomfort, it's our natural inclination to lean away as opposed to lean in from the mess until other people get it all worked out. And this is precisely when we're going to need everyone at Providence to lean in. Construction will not be the time to stay away for several months. This will be the time when we need you the most. So now one last question is, what about those who don't see the need for space and who don't want to do this or think it's the right thing to do? The fact is, is by the grace of God, it is possible for a family and a family of faith to walk in unity, even when members of the family don't all agree on the same course of action. And so what do we do? Well, as a church family, I would encourage all of us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Second, as I would encourage all of us to pray for wisdom and discernment, to see between closed hand issues and open hand issues. Closed hand issues are things that God has specifically told us within the scriptures that we must do. See, we're not going to vote tonight on if Jesus is Lord, 
right? That's a closed-hand issue. His mission is a closed-hand issue. He tells us to make disciples. We're not going to vote on that tonight. A building is an open-hand issue because you're not going to see that within Scripture of something you have to do in order to do this. It's an option. And so when a decision about an open-hand issue is being made by the body to which you've been called to, We should trust the Lord, we should speak with one voice, and we should throw our support behind whatever decision is made. Now, I'm going to vote yes tonight, but you need to know is that this would apply to me if the majority of Providence would vote no. Because I would say, okay, then let's walk in unity. And lastly is always try to remember how much we share in common, things that really matter the most. We really are a unified body with what matters the most, and we need to remember that. And so I just pray that the Lord would give us wisdom and unity and love as we seek to display his wisdom here in the world. So let's pray together, okay? Father in heaven, thank you for your kindness and for your love to us, for us. And we pray, Father, that as we consider these things, that you would help us to be a prayerful people, that you would help us to be wise and understanding. And God, we pray, Lord, that even now as we continue to sing to you and as we give to you, we, we pray, Father, that that these gifts, these offerings, um, even the words as we sing, Father, that they would please you, they would honor you, and they would expand the name of Jesus Christ in the world. So God, help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.